which many people think about the triumphant entry of Jesus when He came on into Jerusalem. It's probably an occasion that you are well studied in or at least have, have read in Scripture. It's in every single Gospel account. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all mention this event. But Jesus, He enters into Jerusalem um, in Matthew chapter 21. The crowds, they take up palm fronds as He enters into the city on a donkey. And the crowds go along ahead of him shouting, kind of a quotation from the Psalms as well. It's Hosanna, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered into Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. This morning, you know, as many people are thinking about you know, the entry of Jesus, into Jerusalem, I want us to think a little bit beyond this specific occasion right here. Because we're aware of of this occasion, we're aware of the triumphant entry, but I I was contemplating a thought about this occasion, and it kind of came to me something that, and you maybe have seen this before, but the individuals that were there in the audience, the individuals that were there along the street, waving the palm fronds, cheering Jesus on like a triumphant returning conquering king, there in Jerusalem, they're making this phrase, they yell out, Hosanna, you know, glory to God, and so on. They're praising Jesus, and everybody is hearing about Him. But the question that came to my mind in thinking about the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, and and not so much Jesus himself, but the crowd of people, these crowd of people that were praising God when Jesus came in, is where were those same people five days later? What happens after this triumphant entry into Jerusalem? Less than a week later, you have Jesus before Pilate. Less than a week later, you have crowds shouting, crucify him. Less than a week later, you have Jesus hanging on the cross, and He's there, and it seems that He's neglected. You don't have crowds of people around Him saying, Glory to God, do you? No, you have soldiers mocking Him. You have people offering Him sour wine. You have, you know, um, others gathering, casting lots for His garments, and and so on. You even have a criminal next to Him on the cross mocking the occasion. Where were those people? They were crying out, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed be the God Most High! And they were praising God and spreading this message. Five days later, Jesus is on the cross. He's he's scourged, he's beaten, he's mocked. That that, that kind of fake trial takes, takes place. Where were they then? They weren't crying out, Blessed be Jesus at that moment. They weren't yelling, Hosanna, anymore. I don't know about you, but that bothers me. I, I mean, I'd like to think that, that well, I, I'd be there. You know, as the people were, were praising Jesus, I'd be one of those people there listening to Jesus preach for those next several days. I'd be one of those people that were there at the foot of the cross, you know, trying to, you know, praise Him and also get people to stop this event from happening. I would hope that I would be somebody who wouldn't neglect Jesus. That I wouldn't be so fickle that, that just less than a week ago I was yelling, glory to God, and then over here I might be yelling, crucify him. I would hope that I would never do that, and I started thinking through this, and in my mind I kind of had an arrogant thought, and the arrogant thought was, I would never go down that road. I would never make those same mistakes. I would never be like those people. I know so much more than they know. And then I started thinking, wait a second. I don't. 
You know, so often we look at these people in the first century and we look at how they saw miracles and yet they didn't believe. They, they saw Jesus do magnificent things and yet they neglected him or, or didn't follow him. They were there and they were at the triumphant entry, but then they weren't there at the cross. And then we fast forward 2,000 years from now, from then, and we think, well, I would never do that. I would never go down that path. I would never make those same mistakes. I think that's a foolish thought. I think it's arrogance. I think it's prideful for me to think that I'm better than those individuals in the sense that I would never commit those same sins. You know, I think sometimes we have this mentality that, well, I'm so faithful now, we got it so figured out now that I would never fail, I would never fall like those people did. But the issue at hand is you will. In fact, God's faithful people throughout history have fallen even when they knew better. Case in point this morning, the Israelites. Now, if you've studied Scripture for some time, you're probably familiar with, with God's people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, there in the Old Testament. And it seems like these people, although they were empowered by God, blessed by God, given God's direct word, and knew God and saw God working, time after time again, they fell. We're not any different than them. See, the people there at the triumphant entry, they knew the word, at least somewhat. I mean, maybe they had a warped idea of Jesus as king, but at least they acknowledged him as the Messiah. They knew something, and yet, where were they five days later? God's people throughout history, even the most faithful, so let's put ourselves in that box, are not too faithful to fail. We can still fall. We can still stop following Jesus. Turn your Bibles, if you would, this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And keep the triumphant entry of Jesus in the back of your mind, because we're going to come back to it. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you have the Apostle Paul talking about Israel. God's faithful. Let's not disconnect ourselves from that. We always go, well, that was the Jews, we're the Gentiles, or something like that. No, they're representation of God's faithful. They're the people that were following God. They're the people that knew His Word. They were the people that worshipped God. They weren't, you know, not all the time, but they weren't pagan idolaters over here. These are the faithful. These are God's chosen people. They were the people that should have had everything kind of figured out, just like us, right? We think we have it all figured out. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Our fathers, talking about their you know, Israelite ancestors, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Talking about God guiding them in the wilderness and God parting the Red Sea. They saw the magnificent power of God. And he says, they were all baptized in the Moses and in the cloud and in the sea, and they all ate the same spiritual food and they all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were all drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So they had it all, right? They had all the blessings, they had all the guidance, they had you know, God taking care of them. What does Paul say though? Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not. wilderness so they didn't do what they were supposed to do and they were punished for it he's going to elaborate on it more but he wants us to understand that this is our example here he says i want you to learn from this verse 6 now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not pray people think as they also pray for they were not be idolaters as some of them were 
As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents. Nor let us grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So the Israelites, they were God's faithful people who knew better, and yet even them, they what did they do? They, they gave in to idolatry, they gave in to grumbling, they gave in to trying God, they did all these things they weren't supposed to do, and bad things happened because of it. But Paul here says this happened, verse 11, as an example for all people for all ages. That means even us today as Christians who are supposed to be God's people and God's faithful, we too can fall, we too can fail just like they did. See, so often I like to think that I wouldn't make those same mistakes. That I am enlightened, you might say, right? That I've progressed beyond that way of thinking. That I don't deal with those same sins. That I'm better than those people were. That I I don't struggle with that. I'm more faithful than they were. If I was there, I would have been there with Jesus. If I was there, I would have believed immediately when he started preaching. If I was there, I would have been baptized by John the Baptist. If I was there, I would have been a companion of St. Paul as he went and preached to the Gentiles. If I was there, I would have never neglected Jesus on the cross. That's what we like to think. But what's the example of 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Even the faithful can fall. That's why... Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Right? The idea is, if you think you have it all figured out, if you think you are just so faithful, so perfect, so dialed in that you'll never make those mistakes that the people in the past make, he says, watch out. Because the person who thinks that they're not going to fall, that's the person who will. Right? And I think that's what happened maybe even after the triumphant entry. Those people, we look at them, we go, they have it figured out. They're praising Jesus. Five days later, Jesus is on the cross. And where were they? Even us. We go to church every week. We take the communion. I was baptized in the Christ. I give every Sunday. I I say my prayers. I read my Bible. I, I, I give, I'm a nice person, I'm a good neighbor. I would never fall into that trap. I would never give in, I would never fall away. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. I'll be honest with you, that comes across kind of depressing a little bit too, right? I mean, we look at that and we go, wait a second, Cliff, you're saying that all of this faithfulness, because I'm faithful, right? All of my faithfulness is for naught because Paul is saying that, that I'm still going to fall. The reality of life is this. We're not immune to temptation. We're not immune to struggles. We're not immune to sin. But yet, even when we do sin, there is still hope. See, what makes us different than those who fall away and don't come back is that we can overcome 
those temptations, we can overcome sins, and we can remain faithful. Look what he keeps saying here in the same chapter. Look at verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. In fact, on Friday on our online devotional, this is one of the ones we looked at, but he says, No temptation has overtaken you that is common or such as common to man. The idea is what you're going through, everybody else through all time has gone through. You're not so special is the point, right? Sometimes we think we're the special case. We're the exception. You know, it does, the rules don't apply to us. He says, take heed lest you fall and understand that all the temptations that you have are common. What you're going through, other people have gone through. Lust of the flesh, yeah, all mankind since Adam and Eve. Lust of the eyes, yep, every single person since the garden. Pride of life, yep, every person who's walked on this earth. Those types of sins that you struggle with, every single person has struggled with through all time. You're not immune to it. You're not the exception, he says. And God is faithful, verse 13, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. So there is no excuse. It's not that God's going to allow some temptation that you have to give in to. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. What Paul is saying is, you're not immune to temptation. You're go- you could fall just like the Israelites did. So what you need to do, instead of thinking that you are above temptation, understand that you will face temptation. But when you face temptation, you don't have to fall if you trust in God, and if you look for that way of escape that God provides. See, we sit back and we go, well, I would never give in to that kind of temptation. I would never fall. I would never neglect Jesus. I would never forget Him or neglect Him or not abandon Him when He's on the cross. You might. In fact, just like they were tempted, you could be tempted too. In the same way, you could fall into that same Temptation, And that's what Paul wants us to understand here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Is that temptation will come. Don't act like you're immune to it. So instead of acting like you're immune to the temptation, take it head on. Understand that you can overcome it because God is faithful. So when temptation comes, what do we do? Well, according to verse 13, we understand that none of us are alone. Temptation comes to everyone. We trust that God will not allow insurmountable temptation. And when temptation comes, we look for ways of escape that God provides. What we have a tendency to do is think that we don't need a way of escape. We have a tendency to think that we have it figured out. We have a tendency to think that I'm not going to give in. I won't fall. I'm not tempted by those things. I'm not like the Israelites. I'm not like the citizens of Jerusalem. I'm different. But what Paul wants us to understand here is that we're not. Temptation comes to everyone. We just have to look for the way out. On Friday, if you didn't watch the video we put out, if you don't have access to that or whatever, we were talking about how it's important to look for those ways of escape to temptation. But if you think you're above temptation, you'll never look for the way out. You'll think that you're not bothered by the temptation. You'll think that you don't need help. You will fall into the category, I'll fall into the category of verse 12, which says, 
Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. So then let's think back to the triumphant entry. Like I said, we'll come back to this now. You have Jesus coming into Jerusalem, fulfilling prophecy. He's coming in there, riding in on a donkey. The people treat him like a returning king. They praise him. They praise God. They cry out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Vocally praising Jesus. Five days later, though, the only vocal praise or only vocal comments we heard from a crowd were crucify him, crucify him. Humanity is fickle. We are as well. We're not immune to it. We can go down the same path. In one breath, we could be praising God and over here be cursing His name. I also wonder if some of the same people that were giving into the moment of praising Jesus at the triumphant entry were even some of the same people that said, release to us Barabbas instead. It's a possibility. They fell. They weren't there when Jesus was on the cross. We often think that we would never fall into that same trap. But history teaches us Biblical history teaches us, inspired history of God's people shows us that even the most faithful can still fall. Let's not think that we're immune to temptation, but let's instead look for the way of escape that God provides. In our devotional on Friday, I gave an illustration. We were talking about how, you know, oftentimes in our life, and this idea doesn't isn't originate with me, but... Throughout life, you'll notice there's little barriers that are set up, and it's designed to facilitate certain actions in our lives. One example that I heard a person give one time was the idea of velvet ropes, and I thought this was profound, because so often, like, we'll go, let's say, to the bank, or you're waiting in line at an amusement park or something along those lines, and they'll have a rope or a chain, some kind of barrier. Now, I know when I go to the bank, they don't have the velvet rope anymore, it's that elasticy thing that my kids like to pop out of the little thing and it retracts real quick, right? It makes a loud noise. But, you know, they have that little ribbon there, that velvet rope. It's designed to direct your path, right? Now, I'm stronger than a velvet rope. I can knock it over. I'm fairly agile. I could jump over it. I could walk around it. But the velvet rope is like this law, right? It keeps me from doing that. I walk into the bank, and although I see there's three tellers completely open, I have to, because the rope is there, walk around and go to the first available teller, right? It provides a boundary. It provides just enough of a way out that I don't give in. And, you know, I talked about um, this last week how even in myself sometimes in life, I set up those own little velvet ropes. Last week, I had to work on getting our camp curriculum outline finished, and I'd kind of been putting it off doing everything but that because I knew I needed to be focused on it. So what I did was, that day in my office, I sat someplace else. I put my, my computer, my Bible, my notes that I needed, and everything else, all the other things that distract me, were on my normal desk. I sat at the table. And you know what? Just the fact that the distractions were over there, the, the, the other books, maybe the cell phone, and all of that was over there, I would have to physically get up and go get it in order to 
give in to that temptation. So I, there was a way of escape. There was my velvet rope. It was sitting someplace else. Now, I could have arrogantly sat back and go, no, 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 I'm the greatest curriculum writer of all time. I will never give in to these temptations. I'm going to embrace this camp curriculum and overcome it right now. I probably wouldn't have. I would have fallen. God provides us ways of escape. Those ways of escape are not always giant. It could be something simple, but we have to look for it. But you're not going to look for it if you arrogantly think that you're not going to fall. If I arrogantly think that I'm above temptation, I will fall into the same trap as the Israelites. But here's the reality. I need help. I need help overcoming temptation. You need help overcoming temptation. And God provides that help if we look for it. We're not immune to falling. We're not any better than the Israelites. We're not any better than the citizens of Jerusalem. We're not any better than the church in Ephesus, Corinth, or Laodicea, or anybody else. We don't have it all figured out. We can fall just like they did. Appreciate our time of study this morning. The lesson is yours, but my encouragement to all of you is take heed. Therefore, let him who takes heed, takes, or he that thinks he stands, take heed that he does not fall. We're not immune to temptation. I would like to think that I would have been with Jesus all the way up until the cross. But if history is any record, I probably would have abandoned him, just like those citizens of Jerusalem did. Hopefully, though, we don't after this point onward. Hopefully, we understand that there's a way out to those temptations. We're going to sing an invitation song now. If you need help overcoming temptations in your life, we're here to help you. One of the elders will meet you here up front. I'll be here as well. We can pray with you or for you. We can baptize you into Christ if you're not a Christian this morning. And if you have any need, why don't you let it be known.